Hi guys. Hi. My name's Gage. And I'm Ray. And you are listening to Gore Report. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good try. That We're not doing effort. well with these spooky voices, I tell you. <laughs> It'll be the death of us. <laughs> Hi everybody. We hope you're having a good week. As always. So yeah, it's pretty dope. We've had a pretty fucking busy week this week. I've been moving for three weeks now. Yeah. And it's been shitty, but we are almost done. I think this weekend will be like Saturday maybe will be the day that we actually spend the night in our new house for the first night. So I'm excited for this shit to be over with. (laughs) We spent basically all day working on setting up curtains and working on your room and your tapestries and stuff. My room's going to be so spooky. It looks so awesome and so spook. I'm literally so fucking excited. I'll be ready to have you over to the new cave and the new pod lab so we can record there. It'll be fun. So we don't really have a lot of business to announce in this episode, other than if you want to follow me and Ray and all of our fucking weird, (laughs) then you can do just that by tuning in to the end of the episode. As always, that is where we will announce where you can go and follow us. So yeah, yeah. without further ado, let's jump into my lovely best friend Ray's case this week. So today we are going to be talking about the killing of Travis Alexander at the hands of Jody Arias. Oh, fuck. Yeah, you may have seen the last photograph of him alive without knowing the story. Like it just it's floating around the Internet. Sometimes it reemerges and someone will share it and then it'll go back underneath the dregs again and get forgotten about. I've seen a lot of these uh, famous photos of Travis Alexander. It's really sad. Yeah. It's really, really chilling. Honestly, it's the craziest and creepiest photo I've ever set eyes on. This picture of a man in the shower zoomed in on his face and it's a face of like realization and fear. Almost like she took the picture right when she pulled out her weapon. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it just chills me to my fucking bone. It really, really does. It really unsettles me, This case is fucking awful. If you haven't seen the photo, you can find it on our Instagram. We like to announce our socials, like we said, at the end of the episode, so listen out for that. And if you follow us on Instagram, we do post pictures relating to the case or the story that we're covering every week, so that's cool to check out. Absolutely. So, let's get ready for this. Like, let's dive into this, because this is, it's a lot. I'm so ready. So, Jody Ann Arias was born Wednesday, July 9th, 1980, in Salinas, California, to William and Sandra Arias. Mm-hmm. Throughout all my digging, I couldn't find very much about her childhood that would remotely be indicators that she would grow up to be, like, psycho. <laughs> yeah, true shit. <laughs> um, she There's a-, a lot of mixed speculation yeah. amongst her story and her version of her childhood versus... Her parents, you know, yeah. it's it's a lot of gray. Yeah, she had a loving family, like a pretty normal childhood, we would say. Some of her stories is that when she was like seven, I don't know, there were there were stories about her getting hit with a wooden spoon. I remember some, I think it was from her trial, actually, 
some footage I saw in one video that was covering the case where I saw that little snippet where she was talking about how she would get hit with a wooden spoon all the time. And yeah. Yeah. Or like how she would get pushed by her dad. Yeah. Yeah. Into things like he would just push her into things. Yeah, definitely. So there's her version of events, which whenever somebody says that they're being abused, you tend to believe them. Yeah. Your first, first reaction doesn't want to be, you know, you're fucking lying about it. Right. Right. But however, her parents deny any of this ever happening. Yeah. Any of it. Interesting, Jody. As you can tell, there are lies and exaggerations that she's making. If they are lies, there, mm-hmm. there's no way to know. It's not public knowledge at this point, so I tend to think that it's not documented. Yeah. Even if it is happening, it's an undocumented thing. Yeah, that, that, would, that would make sense. I don't know. It, there's so much room for exaggeration. And you'll see when we get into the nitty-gritty of it and how the story of what happened to Travis changed three different times. Yeah, she's definitely not the most honest person. Uh, yeah, I can I can confidently say at least that. Yeah, she's used to not being truthful at all. And the only thing worth mentioning is of her childhood was her dropping out of school at Eureka Union High School and getting her GED because high school just wasn't doing it for her. Well, I feel that, Jamie. Um, She wanted to pursue a career in photography like she had been doing photography since she was 10 years old. Oh, okay. And one of her other hobbies, you know, when she was younger was to play the flute all the time. And she was really good at it. I remember the days back in high school, marching band, when I played flute. I was was orchestra, so. (laughs) So you feel me. I feel you on that. But we never had to, like, march around anywhere. Yeah, it didn't last long for me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i could just imagine you out in the heat just <laughs> no ma'am like i said i i put that shit down quickly with a quickness and this georgia heat fuck that <laughs> so she had been pursuing photography and she was doing these side gigs and working as a server at the same time at the ventana inn and spa in carmel she was a very smart girl and was always the type of girl who was always with someone you know, whether it's a she's uncomfortable with being alone. That's what I think. Or, you know, what have you. She was always with someone. She barely had any time that she was single. Gotcha. It could be because she's fucking psycho. But Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> like I said, we're on this podcast fucking talking about it. So, <laughs> But she loved to be in love. Like, that's what I get from this. Like, yeah. Sometimes it's. Sometimes it's, I don't want to be alone, and I just want to be with somebody. And the other times it's, you know, she's addicted she, yeah, to being she, in love with someone. She dude. craves that structure of a, of a romantic relationship, mm-hmm. basically. So she ended up meeting and dating this guy named Daryl Brewer, who also worked at the Inn and Spa. They started officially dating in 2003, and they actually ended up buying a house together in Palm Desert, California. Oh, wow. Their relationship tanked, though. And it really started to go downhill. Toxicity! Yes! So Jody and Daryl started having financial issues. And it was a mixture of everything all mixed in together. Like... Financial problems. Financial problems. Their relationship tanking. More than likely due to some toxicity, because we're talking about Jody motherfucking areas here. (laughs) So, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Jody switched gears and ended up working for a firm called prepaid legal group when she was 26 Mm -hmm. and 
working there. She met Travis in September of 2006 at a MLM convention in Las Vegas, Nevada. So now I'm going to switch gears and talk about Travis for a minute. Travis Victor Alexander was born on July 28, 1977 in Riverside, California to Gary David Alexander and Pamela Elizabeth Morgan Alexander. That's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Growing up, Travis had a very traumatic childhood. Unlike oh, Jody. Oh, no, that makes me sad. He had to learn to take care of himself at a young age because his parents, unfortunately, were drug addicts. Oh, God. So they simply were not able to take care of him the way they should have. And, I hate that. And we're not going to sit here and bash the parents for their struggles because that's not what we do here on this podcast. Definitely not. We don't like that shit. Absolutely not. Everybody deals with their own things, you know, right, just relaying they, the information as is. Yeah. I mean, they have their own demons, you know. Um, it's just unfortunate that Travis would have to endure that. But they would um, leave Travis and his siblings alone for days without food. Oh, my God. That is sad. His mother would be physically abusive toward Travis and Travis alone. Oh, for my some God. Reason, and would harm him every day. Oh, was, my God. There was not a day where his mother didn't hurt him. Okay, so do you remember a quick flashback to the Edmund Kemper episode when yes. I was talking about Clarnell Kemper? Oh and you said, take a long walk off a short pier, bitch. Yes. That's like all I can think of right now. It's like, take a long walk off a short pier, bitch. Listen here, Pamela. Listen here. I'm calling CPS. See, we're not going to bash on this podcast about their drug gonna... addictions, but we are going to bash you for abusing your child because that that's part. kind of fucking not okay. That but part. you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either way, it was terrible. And at one point, his family was like actually living out of a tent. Oh, man. Like, it, it severely went downhill. At the age of 10, Travis moved in with his paternal grandparents and his paternal grandmother really stepped up. Because his father died in July of 1997. And oh, that's sad. himself and his two siblings, like, they were all taken in. Oh, well, I mean, that's good that they had his gran much, their grandparents. Yeah, a much yeah. better household. So, his grandparents ran a strict Mormon household. And he ended up following the Mormon faith and was heavily involved with the church. Okay. Heavily. Okay. Um, when he was younger, he actually visited Denver during a mission trip for the church. And the experience made an impression on him. Like, deeply made an impression on him. I see. He looked into moving to California. So, he found a job as a salesman for prepaid legal group. And he was also a motivational speaker as well. Travis was really getting all the good things out of life. Like, this was really working out for him. He had stability. He had his faith. He was doing the things he wanted to do. Right, exactly. And in a household where he wasn't being Abused, tortured. exactly. Yeah. He was sociable, charismatic, and just a funny guy to be around now. He decided to move back to Mesa, Arizona, because there was more room and everything was kind of... Out in the open instead of being crammed up in California, you know. So he made friends at his job, met like-minded people who were also Mormon, and he was genuinely happy. Then he met Jody Arias. And my fucking stomach just pin missile dropped out of my <laughs> asshole. <laughs> oh, God. He was a higher up in the company in the upcoming MLM convention trip allowed him to bring a plus one. Mm-hmm. So, 
his friends and they knew Jody because they all worked together. Mm-hmm. They set Travis and Jody up on like this blind date arrangement where oh, okay. she would be his plus one and they would go to this convention and, you know, kind of get to know one another, know spend one some another. time with each right. other. Gotcha. Gotcha. So with Travis being charismatic and charming and Jody being who she is. Yeah. She took notice of him immediately. Yeah. Like, it was sparks from day one. They really hit it off, and they were very, very sexually attracted to one another. Hot and heavy. So, they had a good time hooking up and keeping it a secret, because as a Mormon, you're not supposed to have premarital sex. Yeah, gotcha. So, in fact, he was telling people that he was still a virgin. No judgment, Travis. No judgment, Travis. We we ain't got no judgment for you. You know, do what you're going to do in your privacy, you know? Exactly. Do what you do. You don't have to explain yourself to no one. Not even God. And and that goes for you, listeners. You don't have to explain yourself to no one. Not even God. (laughs) (laughs) Words of wisdom from Ray and Gade. (laughs) You better take a pen and write that down. (laughs) So they dated intermittently for like a year and a half, and a lot of their relationship was a long-distance relationship. Yeah. So they were taking turns, traveling back and forth between their Arizona and California homes, and Jody ended up converting to be Mormon. Yeah, so she really, like, was influenced by, I guess, him and his faith and who he was as a person. But she went to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because Travis was a member there. Mm-hmm. And he baptized her on November 26, 2006. Oh, wow. It was in a ceremony in Southern California. She would also go on to say that she did it for Travis. Oh, that's so... Ew. I mean, no, no judgment, but I think if you're going to follow any religion or any spiritual it path, it should be your own. And because you want to, not just because you, you know, want to be closer to someone or something that's not really you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because she definitely had the intention to make the two of them closer. And even later on, there's a picture of her wearing a white T-shirt and it says Travis Alexander's. With, like, the possessive apostrophe over it. Oh, that's so weird. I actually think, now that you say that, I think I've actually seen that that singular picture of Jody where yeah. she's wearing, she has, like, her hair pulled up in, like, a, a ponytail, and she has, like, the shirt kind of held like this. You can't really see me, listeners. I don't her hair's pulled up in a ponytail, but that's, like, that's a specific, that It's like a matter, gray but, shirt with purple lettering yeah, on it. Um, no, it's like a white shirt with black lettering on it. Oh, shit, Yeah. I don't oh know if God. I've seen that one, but... Oh, okay. But, yeah, it it was... Either way, it's kind of fucking cringe, just a little bit. It's a lot of cringe. Just, yeah, it's just, a lot. just a little bit. That's a that's a triple shot of espresso cringe. <laughs> <laughs> You're so dumb. I need cold brew right now. Oh, my God, fucking same. <laughs> so, Travis and Jody began dating, like, actually dating in February of 2007. But at the five-month mark into their relationship, they broke up. And according to one source, it was then shortly after that Jody moved out of her grandparents' home in Eureka, California, to move into the apartment that was two blocks away from Travis's house in Mesa, Arizona. Oh, shit. Like, after they broke up? Yeah. 
Oh, wow. What a so crazy bitch. There is a little bit of uncertainty as far as her moving schedule. Because if this one source is correct, and she moved into the apartment two blocks from his house in Mesa, Arizona, mm-hmm. that does not make sense with the trip that she took to visit him. Yeah, so this isn't like a confirmed thing. You just found one source that had said right, that. Okay. Right, because you'll find out here in a minute when I actually get into it, but I followed the dr- the specific drive that was documented mm-hmm. uh, that she made. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that in there. Travis's friends knew Jody and observed them together, mm-hmm. and they... Definitely had a negative opinion of her. Oh, shit. They started calling her the crazy stalker ex. Oh, God. And stating that the relationship between them was toxic. It was unusually volatile and intense, is what they said. Oh, my God. And they were really worried because Jody's behavior was worrying, really worrying. Although Travis agreed with his friends. He was still meeting up with her to have sex. Oh, no. So Jody would show up unannounced on countless occasions. Countless occasions. Sometimes in the middle of the night. Oh, my God. Just unannounced. Just. Yeah. That like, is just fucking... pop up on you and come over. And just come in. Yeah. But Travis would let her in every single time. Oh, no. So even though they were toxic together, you know, it. They were still feeding into each other, but regardless. Very much so. And I'm starting to think it was like some sort of trauma bond. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like. I didn't really want to say that, but that's genuinely what it fucking sounds like. So at one point, Jody even broke into his house. She used the dog door to get in. Shut the fuck up. She used the fucking dog door. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) She crawled in through the goddamn dog door. Yeah. What a psychotic bitch. Like, I almost don't have any words for that. Trying to imagine her or anybody through the dog door. Now, I could probably see in a situation to where that kind of behavior was like consensual. It's like, hey, baby, I want you to crawl through my fucking dog door. (laughs) And like, you know, and it, you know, that could be a thing if it's consenting. But I think it would be safe to say that baby Travis didn't want this, this was, crazy bitch this coming through his dog consensual. door. This was not consensual at all. Oh my God. She, that is so scary. She broke into his house using the dog door, took off all her clothes, got into his bed and laid there waiting for him to get home. Oh my God. That's she honestly breaking sometimes like when he had other women there. What? And I bet that didn't fucking go over. Well. Oh no. She was even going as far as to contact these women because like, Here's the thing. She would break in when he had other women there because she found out that even when they were getting together, he was texting these women on the side and talking to these other women. Yeah. So she started this behavior to where she's breaking into the house while he has someone there. And she was even going as far as to contact these women and threatening them and threatening him. Oh my, that is literally so fucking scary. So it's like, she just got into the habit 
of being obsessive over what he was doing and who he was with or not with. So she was constantly just breaking into his house to yeah. literally just see what he was doing. Yeah, and it's like these meetups were really going to the extremes most of the time. I could not fucking imagine. She was stalking him. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Obviously. She slashed his tires. Oh, my God. Snooping through his stuff and reading his journals. That is such an invasion of privacy. What the fuck, Jody? But even during all of this, Travis couldn't stop seeing her and he couldn't keep himself away. So Jody would always reel him back in with sex every single time. Son of a bitch. Like they had it bad. Yeah, bad, bad. <laughs> we love a good toxic relationship. Toxic. <laughs> <laughs> so it was clear that she firmly held on to this belief that they were just meant to be together. They were just he belonged to her essentially is what she thought. She was yeah. on that she was on that fucking vibe. Like she believed that she was his, obviously, by wearing the t shirt, and she also firmly believed that like he was reciprocating how she felt. Because Goodness it was gracious. it was very, very clear that Jody was crazy over him. And he wasn't crazy over her. He kind of had a different uh, term of thinking. What's that word that you said about this when we were talking about this earlier? Situationship? Yeah. Travis was thinking situationship, you know? I mean, they were already in a situationship because you are not dating this person now. You've already broken up, but you're still meeting up for sex. And it still complicates him meeting other women. And then you're doing all this other crazy stalker fucking bitch shit. Like yeah. crawling in through the goddamn dog door, which that still just fucking baffles me. I'm sorry. I could, I don't know what the fuck My I would do. My would never get through there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I would do. If a human of any kind of relationship crawled in through my fucking dog door into my house, I literally, I can't. Could like, you imagine? Jody, if, you're too much, could girl. Could you imagine if he was home and he just looks over at the door and you see her head poked in there like, it would be like that fucking. It would be like that bitch from The Ring coming out of the fucking TV. Like, I'm not, I'm not fucking with that. No, I'm not fucking with that. Travis had an upcoming business trip to Cancun um, on July 10th. So Ooh. this was another convention paid for by the employer of the firm, mm -hmm. and it allowed him, again, to take a plus one. And Jody knew about this, because obviously they both work at the same place. Mm -hmm. She knew about this upcoming trip and firmly believed that she would be the one to go with him. Oh, God. She, again, stuck to that belief that they were meant to go together. Oh, my goodness. So it was the last week before the trip. And it came out that Travis was going to be taking another woman. And her name was Mimi Hall. She was also a practicing Mormon. And she was now a love interest of Travis. Oh, I bet this pissed Jody off. When she found out, she was filled with so much rage. It was definitely the turning point that made her premeditate his murder. This was a psychological justification for the decision she was making so you think this event of travis taking this mimi straw. this is the straw that broke the back this is so when travis decided to take mimi and not jody you think from your notes because i i know bare minimal about this case but mm -hmm. you think that's the point when she planned to kill him definitely oh my god that is fucking that's sickening So 
So these version of events, I've done my best to try to create like a timeline of Jody's actions here on out. Mm -hmm. So there are going to be parts where something has happened and the police were involved and then moving, moving forward. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So moving forward on May 28th, 2008, a burglary occurred at Jody's grandparents' house. Oh, shit. A twenty-five caliber gun, some electronics, and some cash went missing. Okay. The grandparents' gun was never recovered. And the prosecutor, further on in time in the trial, argued that the burglary was staged by Jody. Oh, shit. I mean, I could see it. Yeah. So, I'm guessing there's some hard evidence there. So that is a tidbit that I want in the back of your mind as I start explaining this. On June 2nd, 2008, Jody rented a white Ford Focus in Redding, California, about 100 miles south of her residence. It wasn't even, like, close That's around That's fucking house. what's weird. That's fucking weird. She told the budget rent-a-car staff that she would only be driving the car locally. But several days before the Cancun trip, Jody repeatedly contacted her ex-boyfriend, Daryl Brewer, asking to borrow two five-gallon gas cans for a trip to Arizona. Oh, that's pretty damning. So those gas cans were never returned to him, by the way. She, like, borrowed them and never brought them back. Typical shit. Typical (laughs) shit, I see. So receipts presented at trial also showed... That she had purchased a third five-gallon gas can, some sunblock, and a facial cleanser from Walmart in Salinas, California. That was on June 3rd, 2008. Oh, wow. So that evening, at an Arco gas station in Pasadena, California, she purchased eight gallons of gasoline with her debit MasterCard. And four minutes later, purchased nine gallons of gas with cash. She essentially used the gas cans as a means for gas while she was in Arizona. So they wouldn't be able to log her stops at gas stations. Yeah, so it's like she was never in Arizona at all. Wow, that's that's pretty fucking damning. She knew beforehand what she was going to do to Travis, and she was doing these things with not getting caught in mind. So, moving forward, on June 4th, 2008, six days before the Cancun trip, Jody shows up unannounced, and they end up having sex again. Okay, okay. Jody was taking some spicy pics of them together on his new camera. Hot and heavy. <laughs> so at 5 p.m., Travis is showering, and Jody decides to take more pictures of him. So they had this routine where they would regularly take pictures of both of them together, mm-hmm. having sex. Mm-hmm. So, Jody was taking pictures of him in the shower. So, this was not, like, weird at all to it, him. Yeah, it was, like, usual things that they did when they met up. Right. But this is where that image of Travis and the look on his face. That last picture of him in the shower. Yeah, but there's there's pictures after that picture. So it's not like the actual last, last photo of him, but it's the last photo of him alive. Oh my God. Oh my mother fucking God. <laughs> she had him sit on the floor in the shower because the very last photo was of him sitting 
in the fetal position, but this photo only showed him from, like, the arm down, and it's believed that that was, like, right when she was... Launching the attack. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. Kinda, we ride at midnight kind of fucking bullshit. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She then stabbed him 29 times, cut his throat so badly it almost decapitated him, and shot him in the left side of his face. I literally almost have no fucking words. I mean, I did almost just piss on myself yeah. and all of our recording equipment just a little <laughs> bit. I'm not going to lie. Like I said, bear the reach of an angel. <laughs> like I said, bare minimum, I knew about this case, but it's not one that I've delved into so hardcore. So I kind of honestly forgot, or I guess I didn't really know Travis's injuries. Like I knew it was brutal, but oh my fucking God. Yeah. That is worse than brutal. That is such overkill, in my opinion. Like, and good God. I know that I've brought this up in other episodes, but first of all, stabbing a victim has has some connection to it. It's a very visceral... Intimate, even. Intimate thing to do to someone. Like, not intimate in the fact of, oh, I'm going to do this to my girlfriend right now. But I mean intimate in a way that it takes passion person, or some strong emotion exactly, behind it. Exactly. It takes passion and rage to enact something like that. Because every time you stab, you are removing the object from flesh and bone. And let me tell you, there was one time I got a whole sliver of wood that got pushed up in my foot. I could not pull it out myself. It was in so far. Oh, my God. So, if you could imagine trying to pull that out of my foot, and Ooh, I couldn't do it myself, no, no, but no. you're stabbing someone 29, 29 fucking times. times, and the stamina that it takes to do that. And then, let's get into the de- almost decapitating him. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Not only, like, good God, if she stabbed him any number of times, but 29 is definitely fucking enough, but then she almost decapitates him? It was so much blood in the bathroom that they could not determine if he was shot in the face beforehand or after. They just couldn't tell an order of anything at first. No, but they do believe that the shot to the face was post-mortem. What? So that means that she stepped. He also had defensive wounds on his hands. So obviously she was stabbing him first. Oh, my God. So, chronologically, Chronologically, she stabbed him 29 times, almost decapitated him. And then if that, as if that's not fucking enough, Jesus Christ, then she shot him in the fucking face. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah, it's bad. It's, It's bad. During the scuffle, she dropped the camera and there were two accidental pictures that were taken. One was from dropping the camera. I'm pretty sure dropping the camera when she went to attack him. Son of a bitch. And then with the camera on the floor, kicked the camera and it went off and took another photo. The photo is of her foot, like in the foreground. Mm -hmm. And just past her foot, you can see from like the top view down Mm -hmm. of Travis's head and his shoulder. Oh my God. Oh my God. You can actually pull up those images and see them on Google. Oh, my God. It's pretty bad. Oh, my God. 
The amount of time taken between the last two photos was 62 seconds. It was like drop one went off and literally a minute later you see her foot next to his body. Son of a bitch. So, that's pretty fucking that's rough. Now with with the findings that the investigators had, I have my own conclusions. So after I tell you what the investigators found at the scene, I will tell you my thoughts on that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So investigators found blood on the washing machine. Inside was all the bedding from Travis's bed and his new camera. The photos she hoped would be deleted by destroying the camera. She didn't think that out very well, did she? No. The photos had been deleted from the actual camera itself and thrown into the washing machine, hoping that the water would destroy the camera. Gotcha. However, the SD card survived. Like I said, you didn't really fucking think about that one, did you, Jody? They recovered images including Jody and Travis, both in sexually suggestive poses at approximately 1.40 p.m. on June 4th, 2008. This was an older camera, so it left time marks, like timestamps, on the photos. So that's pretty damning evidence. The last photo of Travis alive and in the shower was taken at 5.29 p.m. on June 4th. Moments later, images appear of an individual, believed to be Travis, profusely bleeding on the floor. There was blood all through the master bedroom hallway and in the bathroom. Investigators also found a bloody palm print that was located in the bathroom hallway, which DNA revealed to be... Jody's blood. And one of my sources say that a patch of hair had been pulled out from her head. And was found at the crime scene. Yes. Oh my God. There was also blood found in one of the bathroom sinks where she had tried to wash the blood from her hands. And after she committed the crime, she spent 45 minutes wiping down the crime scene trying to destroy the evidence. This includes wiping Travis's corpse i'm sorry this is really hard for me to say she wiped down his corpse with a cup of water and a rag oh my god oh my fucking god she was desperately doing whatever she can to try to remove herself from the scene and a spent 25 caliber round was located near one of the sinks in the bathroom so that that's the kind of gun that got stolen from her grandparents house yes Oh, yeah, I totally believe that was Jody that robbed her grandparents then. That's pretty fucking damning. That's pretty damning. There was blood all like all over the floor in the hallway, and then you have the handprint, and you've got the blood in the bathroom. So what I think happened was she had the camera in her hand. She took the photo of Travis. That's when she pulled the knife out. You see that look on his face. She drops the camera trying to attack him. That's where you get the defensive wounds. I think he got up and tried to get away from her by going to the hallway. That would explain, like, the attack carried over into the hallway. Yeah, and the bloody handprint on the wall in the hallway. Very true. And then I think after she stabbed him, she dragged his body back to the bathroom. Oh, my God. This is literally fucking... This is vicious. Like, this is vicious as fuck. It really is. But that's what I think happened in conclusion of all of the articles that I read. So, 
Well, if blood was found all over the place, then that would be indicative that the attack just didn't happen in one room. Yeah, if and, blood and everything was found yeah, and, in more and than one room. her blood and her hair, you know, like, is scattered all over this fucking crime scene. That is fucking scary. And she washed all the bedding off his bed because they had sex. So she was trying to remove her DNA. Well, Jody, you didn't do a good fucking job. Not at fucking all. But that is absolutely vicious. Like, just the imagery I have in my mind right now, that she literally had him all in the bathroom, all in his hallway, all over just fucking brutally fucking killing him. That is... I I have no fucking words. I literally have no fucking words. That is absolutely heart-wrenchingly vicious. That is so vicious. After she leaves his home, she drives out to the desert to call him and leave a voicemail on his phone. So this is actually what? yeah. Yeah, to leave a voicemail on his phone to to say, "Oh, well, this is where I was at this time." She was immediately trying to make an alibi. Right. But this is actually about Six hours after Travis's death, but before his body was discovered, Jody had continued to call him and had left him several voicemail messages. It was later alleged that she had accessed his voicemail messages herself after his death. She said that Travis had originally planned to visit her sometime in May, but that his plans had changed. And I have the voicemail. So nice, I wasn't getting back to anybody. So that's the voicemail. And did you notice how she sounds like she's kind of rushed? Yeah, I did actually. Like she's in a rush to hurry up and create an alibi for herself because she just brutally killed Travis. Literally her saying fun, fun. I'll tell you about that later. Just made like it's an indescribable amount that my asshole just drew up into my body. <laughs> Like, what an evil, evil bitch. Who would have known that your black hole would be a black hole? <laughs> right? No fucking shit. No shit. <laughs> so, on June 5th, 2008, West Jordan, Utah police officer Michael Galietti, I think his name is, he pulled Jody over while she was in the rented vehicle driving to meet a Ryan Burns. She okay. was driving to meet someone. Okay. The front license plate of the car was missing, and the rear plate was upside down, and that's why she got pulled over. She attributed this to some kids at the Starbucks playing a trick on her. What? Yeah, but I think that she purposely put it upside down, so any cameras that were, like, in the area of her leaving... Yeah, wouldn't get they... a clear reading on it. Right. She really... or. In some ways she didn't. In some ways she did. She this was premeditated as fuck. Like she really was. She really put whether it be good thought or bad thought. She put a lot of fucking thought into this. That's scary. Yeah, that's fucking scary. So this Ryan person helped her fix the license plate because he was with her, and Galietti did not cite her for the infraction. Oh, so she was. She had already rode, met this Ryan person, and picked him up, and then I'm she got guess, pulled over. I'm guessing so. She must have. She must have already known him or, I guess, had intentions of dating him or whatever. Because, like I said, she didn't stay single long. Yeah, I gotcha, gotcha. But this Ryan Burns person and others who have met Jody in Utah after the killing 
indicated she had bandages on her hands and she wore long sleeves on days that it was very hot. So it was very unusual. And she told different stories about how she received the cuts to her hands. So Ryan was told that they were from an injury while working at a restaurant called Margaritaville. And at the trial, it was revealed by Siskiyou County, California authorities that no such restaurant exists nor ever existed in the area. So she completely made that up. Yeah. So these are obviously cuts from her murdering Travis. Son of a... Oh, my my God, my spine. My spine. At the time of the killing, she worked at Casa Ramos in Eureka. And Ryan testified that nothing appeared to seem off when it came to her behavior. Like, she came over, they made out, they had sex, then she stayed the night. She was just chill. Yeah. After just brutally and viciously fucking killing Travis. But wait till you hear this shit. So when Jody returned the car on June 7th, it had been driven about 2,800 miles. Looks like he wasn't driving locally, Jody. (laughs) It was also missing all of its floor mats. And there were what looked like Kool-Aid stains on the front and rear seats. Oh, God. The car was cleaned before police were able to examine it. So, when she got pulled over on the 5th with her buddy Ryan, the killing had already been committed. So, that means those were blood stains in the car when she got pulled over. And they just let that slide. Didn't even notice it. Didn't even notice it. What the fuck? So not only did you not get a fucking ticket, but you damn near got away with murder. That is literally just fucking wild. That's wild. Five days after Travis's murder, Mimi and some friends were starting to worry about him. They hadn't heard from him all week. They had been trying to reach him with no response. And he had also missed an important conference call on the night of June 4th, 2008 at 7 p.m. On June 9th, Having zero luck to reach Travis whatsoever. Mimi and her her friend's boyfriend. It was like her, her best friend, I'm guessing. Her boyfriend. So, Gotcha. Yeah. They had like a group together pretty much. They had much. a group together because they didn't know what was going on. And they were going to pop up at his home to check on him. Shockingly enough, his roommate was present under the impression that he had already left on this trip. To go to Cancun. He was there at the house. He wasn't there at the house, I'm guessing, when when he got killed. But he was there at the house all freaking week. With Travis's corpse. With Travis's corpse upstairs in his or upstairs or wherever how the house layout is. But yeah, he was there. And they all got together and got the key to Travis's room. And when they entered it, they were greeted with the gory, bloody leftovers of Jody's oh, handiwork. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I literally could not fucking imagine. They noticed large pools of blood in the hallway leading to the master bathroom. And then his body was discovered in the shower. I was actually watching a, a movie with uh, my girlfriend at the time, or my wife now. I remember getting a knock on my door, and Travis's friends came uh, came to the door. And they said, have you seen Travis? And I said, well, no, I haven't seen Travis. He, uh, he's supposed to be in Cancun or out on vacation right now. And they said, yes, he is, but he's supposed to be here with, with me, with Mimi. And so I said, well, have, have you checked his bedroom? And that was my first thought. Um, and as soon as the, the door was opened, uh, my heart just sank. And immediately on the, the right-hand side, I did end up seeing a pool of blood and looked down the hallway and saw 
just blood strewn throughout the hallway. The police did find suspicion in the roommate because how do you not smell a rotting body for like a week? That's what I'm fucking saying because that's a very pungent, very unmistakable scent. But yeah, unless like I don't know what the house layout is. I don't know if there's an upstairs downstairs. I didn't look into the house plans, but it's quite possible if Travis's room was upstairs that maybe... Maybe, maybe if the the roommate is a weed smoker, possibly could cover that up, but I don't think so. Yeah. Like, once you smell what death smells like... That's unmistakable, yeah. It is very unmistakable, and you never forget it. Well, I mean, I guess it's safe to say it's evident that... The roommate, it, I mean, it's honest that he must not have smelled anything or noticed anything, because obviously he's not the one that killed Travis, so... I mean, clearly but it's... It's the same It's the same thing, like, have you ever been over to somebody's house who has, like, a lot of cats, and you've got that cat urine smell in, yeah, in their house? Yeah. So the thing is, is, like, you'll smell it when you come in the door, but then once your nose gets adjusted to that smell... You make a good point. You, you kind of get used to it, in yeah, a way. Yeah, you get used to it, and you don't smell it. Wow, that's a good point. That's actually a good point. Because, that's a good point you know, to make. I've, I've heard a lot of people ask questions online, like, how do you not smell what your house smells like, and da-da-da, because when you're living in it... It's different. It is way different. Exactly. That That's a good point. That's valid. That's valid as fuck. However... Zach Billings was cleared of all suspicion, even with all of that going on. Gotcha. So they cleared him pretty quickly, I'm guessing. Yeah, of course, because, you know, they got from everyone who was connected to Travis, like any any love interests that they knew of, any co-workers whatsoever, like they got DNA from everybody to rule out suspicion. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah, so he so was cleared not only was, by account, but by DNA, too. He was cleared by account and DNA and... You know, just any other questions they asked him. The 911 call they made notifying the authorities of the discovery of Travis. They mentioned Jody. 911 emergency. Um, our friend of ours is dead in his bedroom. We, we hadn't heard from him for a while. His roommate just went in there and, and said there's lots of blood. Have you been threatened by anyone recently? Yes, he has. He has, a, he has an ex-girlfriend that's been bothering him and... Holy fucking shit. The goosebumps on my body right now. Yeah. That is so sad. Yeah. Oh my God. That is so sad. And the way that they just like immediately brought up Jody, like that was like where all of their minds went together. Yeah. That's. Yeah, because even though Travis was still meeting up with Jody and having sex, the people around him knew who she was, knew what type of behavior, because she was stalking him, hacking into his Facebook account, slashing his tires. And let's not forget Jody crawling through the goddamn dog door. Right. Let's not forget that. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. That. I'm sorry I keep hounding on it, but like this bitch was crazy. So obviously everyone had taken note that she was the one in his life doing this kind of shit. So they all immediately just knew. And I just think that's fucking chilling. Like literally hearing, I'm I'm assuming it's Mimi. That's the female in the call. Her literally saying yes, 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 he has. And her name's Jody. That just gave me fucking goosebumps. Yeah. Like she had no hesitation in thinking about that. The minute that operator asked if anyone had been threatening him, like she, she jumped and she knew. And, 
That's crazy. Oh a, my God, that's a chilling, that's a fucking chilling call. A day after the body was found, the police were going to get in contact with Jody to find out, like, why are these people mentioning your name on a 911 call having to do with the body, right? Mm-hmm. So they were going to get in contact with her, and she made it easy on them and contacted them. Shut the fuck up. Now, she wasn't confessing or anything like that. She called them to be like, I was really good friends with Travis, and now that he's gone, I just want to help in any way possible. Like, So a 100% undeniable narcissist. She's a narcissist. premeditation, for sure. Oh, my God. Yep. So she got in contact with them. La-di-da-di-da, I want to help. And they put her in touch with Detective Esteban Flores, who had been assigned the case. She was offering to help in any way that she could. And he took advantage of the situation and not only got a DNA sample from her, but he also got her fingerprints as well. As months passed, forensics gathered what was on that SD card, like I mentioned earlier. From the camera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And despite everything she did to try to cover her tracks, she was unsuccessful as fuck because your DNA is all over that crime scene. You did a piss poor job, Joni. Piss poor job. <laughs> there, you did a piss poor job. There was even nude photos of her on his camera, like her laying back on the bed and he took a picture of her. See, I know in her mind she initially thought that none of that was going to be recovered, but it's like, how in the fuck, Jody, did you think you were going to lie your way out of that? It's insane. not even the pictures. Let's say the pictures, fuck the pictures. Let's say that they're not even a thing, but the DNA alone Jody, how did you think you were going to lie your way out of that? Unaware of the findings of forensics. Like, she's just carrying on her everyday life like nothing fucking happened. That is so narcissistic. She had no idea of the case that was being built against her. Like, she would post emotional messages to Travis and post photos of them together on Facebook. She even sent a letter and a bouquet of flowers to his family expressing her grief. Come on. Shut the fuck up. Wait, 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 wait. Shut she the fuck up. She sent flowers and a letter to Travis's his family. Yeah. Oh my. Get fucked, Jody. Like, literally well, get not, fucked. Not parents. Probably his grandparents or. But know, his whatever. family, but, regardless. Yeah. She yeah. Was fucking Again, get sitting fucked, there Jody. Talking about her grief over it and, you know, typical narcissist. That is fucking wild. That's beyond. The Mesa police launched their case against Jody on July 15th, 41 days after Travis's murder. Jody Ann Arias was arrested at 7.35 a.m. by Siskiyou County Police in Eureka, California, where she was staying with her grandparents. And that's why I was telling you, like, with where they arrested her at and everything, I think that source may be off some as far as her moving... Like, after they broke up and they... Yeah, you said there was a source that said she had moved to Mesa. Yeah, so that's why they... But if she got arrested living at her grandparents' house, then, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, the craziest thing about it, the police stated they had a warrant for her arrest and didn't further elaborate on anything as they put her in handcuffs. She never once asked them what she was being arrested for. What? Never once. My asshole. <laughs> Literally my asshole. I don't know why that Your chills. asshole has to hurt by now being thrown here and I'm telling you, you're just treating my asshole like a rag doll. Just <laughs> all over this room. Just throwing asshole, breaking asshole, rupturing asshole. There's just a whole bunch of asshole abuse going on in this case right now. 
But like that just chilled me to my fucking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Chilled you to your asshole. Hey, drinking game kids, do you listening? Take a shot every time Gage says asshole in this this episode. (laughs) But no, that really did just chill me to my fucking bone, though, because it's like you would think, let's say you were innocent, like you haven't really done anything that would warrant you getting fucking arrested in this manner. Right. You would think that if someone was innocent, that they would be like, what the fuck is going on? But like she did. You're telling me that she said nothing. She said nothing. Like, here's the thing. They showed up and said they had a warrant for her arrest. And it was just like, you know, okay. And she just didn't ask now, nothing, know, just went along with it. I know if it. I didn't kill anybody and I'm fucking, they're coming to my house and talking about, I got a warrant for your arrest. I'm going to be asking some motherfucking questions. That's what I'm saying. It's almost like, it's almost like a cryptic admittance of guilt in yeah. a way. Like in a way. Yeah. I may be thinking too hard into that, but that just chills me that they show up to get her ass and she doesn't even ask why. Oh, wait, it gets crazier. It gets even crazier. So Detective Flores was officially put in charge to head up the interrogation of Jody because he was present at the time of the evidence being collected. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had spoken before. So he had more information about the situation than anyone else did, I'm assuming. Here's a side note for you. What makes this case stand out to me is the way she tries to navigate the system and manipulate in ways to make herself seem like a God-fearing woman who wouldn't even hurt a living animal, let alone a human. She created this persona and then would act in ways that made her seem fully relaxed and not a little bit excited or nervous. And this persona was like a sweet-natured, soft-spoken person who was... A devoted follower of her faith. Basically, she's building to the police that her fitting the, I guess, the description of someone that would brutally kill someone else in this way. She was just trying to go the opposite of that. Like, oh, I'm so gentle. I'm sweet. I'm Mormon. I'm this. I'm that. I wouldn't hurt a fucking fly. There's no way I could do this. It's like she's trying to build up. But this is not this is not something like you are correct in that thought. But what you're saying is not something that she's coming across and saying. This is just, she's acting like, hasn't said a fucking word to these people. She's not sitting there over explaining like, oh, I wouldn't hurt a fly. She's not doing none of that. It's just the way her demeanor she was giving off was like that. Okay, yeah, yeah, I I gotcha. I had to clarify that. That was just, you know, I like to analyze these things. That's just my little mini analysis, but yeah. (laughs) So I watched hours of interrogation, and within the first minute of her being in the interrogation room, she was sitting in the chair with her handcuffs still on, laying her head down on the table to appear to be unbothered or sleeping. That's or like weird. she was inconvenient, so she's trying to make herself comfortable. That's fucking weird. Like she had absolutely nothing to hide and had zero negative feelings about getting out of the situation at all. Like she was just totally comfortable being there. She figured if she kept up this persona, she could easily get out from under the police's radar, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Huh. Punny. She's sitting there playing this peekaboo sleep stuff or whatever, and she would be listening for the footsteps of Detective Flores coming up to the door. Mm-hmm. When she realized that he wasn't coming to the room and it was just someone who was passing, she'd sit up and return to her regular seated position, and then she'd start to do like weird stuff while she was alone. She'd be sitting there like fixing her hair and... Making sure that it's, like, not out of place. And, like, she would lean back over the back of the chair 
like trying to pop her back. And then she even gets out of the chair and sits down on the floor up against the wall. She was playing this this peekaboo thing. Like whenever someone would come to the door, she'd lay her head down. And then she'd sit back up and she'd do something fucking weird. And I have never seen someone do the type of shit that I watched of her interrogation videos. She even got down on the floor and did a fucking handstand up against the wall. What? Yeah. and Like she, in the fucking interrogation room? In the interrogation room. And then she's sitting there singing Here With Me by Dido. And then singing Oh Holy Night. And. What the fuck? And she was even caught on camera. Like she was hunched over her legs. Mm-hmm. You know. And was I guess holding onto her head or whatever. And she giggles and she goes still hate me now. Oh, no, my asshole, asshole, <laughs> asshole, asshole. No, that is so fucking, oh my God, shit like that chills me. It just fucking chills me. So That's her weird. Her persona wasn't getting her anywhere, and she continued to, like, ramble off on these tangents. So Detective Flores would ask her a question, and then she would start to act like she was telling him, like, her answer to that question, but then would segue into this long ass fucking tangent. tangent that was in no relation whatsoever to what she was being asked. That makes no fucking sense. Absolutely. So she was carrying on in this very nonchalant manner, thinking she's getting everything right for acting like she's innocent. But instead, her weird behavior was only making the detective more suspicious of her. I don't know why the fuck she thought that was going to work. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think for the fifth time I'm saying this, you did a piss poor job, Jody. So one of the other crazy things that she did was Detective Flores was getting ready to start asking her a series of questions. And this bitch turns around, looks at the table behind her. There are like two old voice recorders there Mm -hmm. that they would use in interrogation to record the conversation. Yeah. But apparently, I guess they didn't have batteries in it or whatever. They had just been sitting there as props for the detectives to make people think it's recorded. Yeah. I don't quite know. Whatever the case may be, they were there. Whatever the case may be. She goes, oh, should we be recording this? And turns around and grabs both of the voice recorders, puts them on the table and like yeah she's trying to seem like she's just so forthcoming and her over eagerness is like she's trying to make herself appear that she's being helpful but it's not helping her it's like jody what in your mind makes you think that you will be in a situation in which you're in a police interrogation room, not even for some small shit, for murder. for murder. What makes you think you're not going to be fucking recorded? Exactly. Like, what the what the fuck? Like, her, she's in a world of her own. I'm she's in you, a motherfucking world of that, her own. That is a girl that, that marches to the own beat of her own drum. No shit. No <laughs> shit, clearly. So, she continued to insist throughout the interrogation that she had last seen Travis in April of 2008, despite being presented with DNA and photographic evidence by the detective. She also continued to ask to see the pictures of him. What? Of him, of him at the crime scene. She wanted pictures. She wanted to see the pictures of him dead and kept insisting, I have to know what happened to him. I have to know what happened to him. Yeah, you're a fucking psychotic bitch, Jody. 
That is fucking insane. And he kept telling her, like, I'm sorry, ma'am, you don't want to see these pictures. You don't. I'm not going to show them to you. But she kept asking and asking. She was like, I think that'll just give me some closure to what happened to Travis. No, actually, bitch, it seems like you want to relive the fucking crime in some fucked up way. Because the whole time you're sitting there asking for pictures, you knew exactly what they looked like. You know how we would talk about people like serial killers and stuff and we talk about their trophies? At that moment... That was like a virtual revisit of the crime scene for her. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just like uh, Casey Joy in the Maribel case. Oh, yeah. It's literally the same fucking thing. Yeah, it is. It's fucking creepy. But the most interesting thing that I noticed, she changed her hair color before she was arrested. She had always been a blonde. Mm -hmm. But when she was brought in for the interrogation, she had brunette hair. Wow, so she was really just trying to change her look, have all these alibis. Like, she, that's... Yeah. She also had cuts on her fingers, and she claimed it was from bartending, and she's just super clumsy. She then gave three different accounts of her whereabouts under questioning. She originally told the police that she had not been in the home at the time of Travis's death. Like, she wasn't home. What the fuck? Detective Flores was able to weed through the bullshit, though, because remember, like I said, they recovered the photos from the camera. And all that DNA evidence. Yes. The hair, the blood, the pictures of her foot. Like, how the fuck, Jody, did you think you were going to get away with this? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I have. Especially when you have photo digital fucking evidence and dna evidence that's just that's bold bitch yeah that is bold She stuck to her story the entire time, even while being presented with evidence. And you guys can't see the video. Obviously, you're listening to us. But she was sitting there, leaned forward on the table with her arms crossed on the top of the table. And then she further later on had her arms under the table and was leaning up against the table with her chest in what I like to call some weird manatee on a rock in the ocean, like <laughs> the little mermaid thing. <laughs> like that's, that's what it brings to mind. It really is chilling. And what gets me to, it shows how much of a fucking narcissist she is, but the amount of clarity and confidence and in calmness. her. And I'm telling you, the truth is that I did not hurt Travis. That literally fucking chills me. Mm-hmm. I am nothing but one big goddamn goosebump. But then Jody drops a bombshell on them. Her second version of events, she later told police that two intruders had broken into Travis's home and that they murdered him and attacked her. What? Yeah. So, so like, I'm, I'm guessing that's the story she came up with when she kind of got it in her head that there wasn't going to be a way to lie out of her not being there right. pretty much. Right. Exactly. So she changed the story again to better suit 
her narrative. That's fucking chilling. Now, they got the second story out of her because they brought in a female detective kind of to play good cop, bad cop. To maybe see if she would feel more comfortable and break a little bit, maybe. Yeah, but she wouldn't break for the female. She did not like the female or her attitude because the female was playing the bad cop because she was hoping that she would trust Detective Flores and open up to Detective Flores because he's the good guy. He's trying to help her. Right? Gotcha. So that's how they got that story out of her. And I forgot to mention earlier, but when they arrested her for her mugshot, she was like making sure her hair was okay and even smiled in her fucking mugshot. Oh my fucking God. So I'm sure the media got hold of this like later on, but I do want to say that she was interviewed on TV about the bombshell that she dropped on police. Oh, about evidently about alleged two. story of two people coming right. in. Gotcha. So this here is Jody Arias talking about her involvement in this supposed attack. They didn't discuss much. They just argued. About what? About whether or not to kill me. For what reason? Because I'm a witness. A witness of what? I saw two other individuals in the bathroom, and they were both coming toward us. They were covered, their hands, their gloves, they had long sleeve shirt on. They were in all black. He was wearing jeans, but they all they had ski masks on. I saw Travis was on the floor in his bathroom on all fours. And um, as soon as this guy left, I just got up and I, I charged her. Um, she had a knife in her hand, and uh, um, he, he had some blood all over the floor, and there was some just coming down on his arms. And I said, come on. And he kept saying, I can't. And then he said, I can't feel my light. And the guy came back in and got really angry at me. Eventually, he um, um, was holding the gun at my forehead. And um, they just kept arguing back and forth whether or not, you know, to kill me. And he pulled the trigger, and nothing happened with the gun. And so um, I just grabbed my purse which was on the floor at that point and I ran down the stairs and out of there and I left him there. Jody was indicted by a grand jury on a first degree murder charge on July 9th, 2008 and arrested her at her grandparents' home on July 15th, 2008. She was extradited to Arizona on September 5th, 2008 where she pleaded not guilty on September 11th, 2008. Again, take a shot every time I say 2008. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> on her second day on the stand, Jody said that their sex life included oral sex and anal sex. She said that anal sex was painful and that while she considered oral sex and anal sex to be real sex, Travis did not. And he believed these forms of sexual activity in contrast to vaginal sex, were technically not against Mormon rules. She said that they eventually had vaginal sex, but less often. They even played a phone sex tape in which Travis said he wanted to zip tie her to a tree while she was dressed as Little Red Riding Hood. She then testified that he secretly found young boys and girls sexually attractive, and she tried to help him with these urges. So... You know, just working on damaging what's left of Travis's character. Yeah, I was about to say, so she calls him a fucking pedophile? Yes. As a defense. As a defense. 
get fucked, Jody. Literally get fucked. Long walk off a short pier. Long, long walk off a short, short pier. Hard drop, sudden stop. Fucked gently with a chainsaw, but not gently in Jody Arias's case because she's a psycho fucking bitch. <laughs> a bitch, you went through the goddamn dog door. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm never going to let that go. Right. <laughs> I'm never going to let it go. I guess you could say she was a bitch. You. <laughs> Get the fuck out. We're done. We're done. We're done. <laughs> That's the end of the episode. Thanks, yeah, we're guys. done. Thanks for listening, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so Jody testified that her relationship with Travis became increasingly physical and emotionally abusive, some of which caused Travis's sister to continuously roll her eyes and shake her head in disbelief as she sat in the courtroom listening to her dog mouth. Travis. I literally couldn't imagine the heartache of Travis's family having to sit through these trials and having to listen to this shit. I literally couldn't imagine it. Jody testified that Travis shook her while saying, I'm fucking sick of you. Then began screaming at her and then he body slammed her on the floor at the foot of his bed and taunted her saying, don't act like that hurts before he called her a bitch and kicked her in the ribs. What in the fuck? Afterward, Jody said, he went to kick me again, and I put my hand out, and she held up her left hand in the courtroom, showing that her ring finger was crooked. Really? Yeah. Fucking really? Yeah. That's it, Jody? That's so, it? Like, why don't we compare your injuries to fucking Travis's? So this, this is exactly what, what I'm covering right now, is the third version of events that I told you was going to come about. That she did all of this in self-defense and yeah. Travis was attacking Yeah, her. first, I don't know how it goes from first she's not there at all and had nothing to do with it and didn't know. And then all of a sudden it's two people came in and did it and let her go. Like they literally did this and supposedly let her go and now she's saying that Travis attacked her first. Yeah. Wow, get fucked, Jody. So according to Jody, the dynamic of their relationship reached its climax when she killed him in self-defense. After he became enraged following a day of sex and a gun accident. What? Forcing her to fight for her life. This was, as I said, three three different accounts. Like, how the fuck can anyone count on her as as a witness to yeah, anything? Her, her, credibility, her credibility is extremely damaged by this point, giving three fucking stories. Yeah. That's not very credible, Jody. just in case you didn't think that shit out enough, because you clearly didn't. And that sentiment was also later echoed by jurors upon the completion of the guilt phase of the trial that she has lost all credibility at this point. Yeah, no shit. Jody addressed comments she made in a September 2008 television interview that had been played earlier in the trial. Basically... She sat there and said that no jury would convict her because she was innocent. Oh, she she said that on fucking TV? Yeah. Wow, bitch, you are bold. That is so that is literally if I've never heard of a narcissist yet, that Jody fucking Arias is a fucking narcissist. Bold like eye. how bold, yeah. bitch. Discussing how bold. The statement during her testimony, Jody said at the time of the interview, I had plans to commit suicide. So I was extremely confident that no jury would convict me because I didn't expect any of you to be here. Convenient. Quoted by Jody Arias. At the close of his cross-examination, Martinez, which was the, um, I guess, the defense lawyer. Gotcha. 
or no, the not the defense lawyer, the prosecuting lawyer. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, he replayed the video and prompted her to affirm that she had said this during the interview that she would not be convicted because she was innocent. So he was like, "Okay, this is what you said on TV. Fucking prove it in front of this court that that is you what said you that. said. That's exactly what you said." Yeah. Now this. <laughs> This is the part that pisses me off beyond belief. I had trouble researching this case because of this part in particular. Oh, God. We are both survivors of domestic abuse. Some pretty awful shit. No need to touch on it on this episode. No, but on May 21st, 2013... Jody offered an allocution, which is just formal speech giving advice or warning, but during this allocution, she pleaded for a life sentence. She acknowledged that her plea for life was a reversal of remarks she made to a TV reporter shortly after her conviction when she said, quote, if I hurt Travis, I would ask the jury for the death penalty, end quote. Then in the actual trial, she said, quote, Each time I said that, I meant it, but I lacked perspective. She continued to say, until very recently, I could not imagine standing before you and asking you to give me life. She said she changed her mind to avoid bringing more pain to members of her family. Fuck you, Jody. Who were in the courtroom. At one point, she held up a white t-shirt with the word survivor written across it. Telling the jurors that she would sell the clothing and donate all proceeds to victims of domestic abuse. Like, bitch, I don't need you speaking for me. That, like, you're kidding me. Like, in front of his family, in front of everyone. In front of her family, in front of his family. Yeah. I literally have no words for that. If I allow myself to break off into responding to that, it's not going to be fit for this episode. So I'm just not, I'm just going to keep it to myself. We're we're not going to um, delve into that bullshit. All I can say is again, get fucked, Jody, literally get fucked. She also said that she would donate her hair to locks of love while in prison and had already done so three times while in jail. Oh, great. You deserve a fucking medal, Jody. (laughs) Do you want a cookie and a gold star, bitch? Like I literally, I'm so done. I'm done. (laughs) On May 23rd, during the sentencing phase of her trial, the trial resulted in a hung jury, promoting the judge to declare a mistrial for that phase. The jury had reached an 8-4 to decision in favor of the death penalty. After the jury was discharged, jury foreman Zervecos stated that the jury found the responsibility of weighing the death sentence overwhelming, but were horrified when their efforts ended in a mistrial. He said, quote, by the end of it, we were mentally and emotionally exhausted. I think we were horrified that we found out that they had actually called a mistrial and we felt like we had failed. That's some heavy shit. So the court was in absolute disarray. The media and social media coverage of the trial was way out of hand even so much as one of the witnesses that was going to speak in behalf of Jody Arias wound up with death threats. Oh, like, shit. They're trying to find jurors for the next trial, and it was commented by Jody 
She said, I don't think there is an untainted jury pool anywhere in the world right now. This is what it feels like. Well, great. You have a very keen sense of fucking observation, you stupid fucking evil, narcissistic ass bitch. <gasps> yeah, yeah, gay. You tell them how you really feel. Tell them how you really feel. Tell them how you really feel. But don't stop now. I want to see them box. <laughs> <laughs> you so fucking dumb. Sentencing was scheduled for April 7th. 2015 with judge stevens having the option to sentence jody to either life imprisonment without the possibility of parole or with the possibility of parole after 25 years what however on april 13th stevens sentenced jody to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole by march 5th 2015 her trial costs were an estimated three million dollars that's crazy because they had to keep retrialing. Yeah. Like, could you imagine? Well, no, we couldn't imagine. But the fucking agony that Travis's family went through of having to repeatedly have these trials, repeatedly relive yeah. the worst fucking thing in their life, Several all times. because of Jody. Several times. All because of Jody. In an interview on April 8th, 2015, Jody's attorney, Jennifer Wilmot, discussed the social media fever. And the death threats she received. Mm -hmm. Jody's statements at the sentencing. Oh my God. Like they ended up having what's called a holdout juror. Which they believe this person had an agenda. Because during retrial the jury was 11 to 1 in favor of the death penalty. So they mistrialed again. And Jennifer also stated that she believed that Jody testified truthfully. What? So, yeah. Are you fucking kidding but, me? Yeah, everyone was in favor for the death penalty, but one person. So they think that it had something to do with all of this media coverage. There was some ulterior motive that, there. Right. That this one person was just trying to save her life, apparently. That's fucking crazy. In June 2015, following a restitution hearing... Jody was ordered to pay more than $32,000 to Travis's siblings. Her attorney stated this was about one-third of the amount requested. Oh, my God. As of 2022, Jody is housed at the Arizona Department of Corrections, which is located at Arizona State Prison Complex in Perryville. She started her sentence in the complex's maximum security, what they call the Lumley Unit. Mm-hmm but has since been downgraded to the medium security level. I'm gathering after being there for some time. Yeah. She will continue to serve life in prison without possibility of parole. So that is the case of Jody Arias murdering Travis Alexander. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I mean, you did the damn thing. But I'm glad the damn thing is done. Yes. I literally never want to think about her ever again. It's cartoon time. Cartoon time. And absolutely. I don't even know if cartoons will fix this. Honestly. Like, how, that is just fucking awful. How about some Animal Crossing, then? <laughs> <gasps> yes! We can totally binge and play Animal Crossing. You have been looking for the ocean sunfish, after all. I have been. I have been. But, so, yeah, man. Like, yeah. good job. I totally did not know all the detail that you gave regarding this case, I think it makes it that much more scary. And I, 
man, I don't know. I don't think Jodi Arias should ever get out of prison. I truly don't think she should. I don't yeah. not think she deserves to. She needs to serve the rest of her life. That is absolutely fucking vicious and I so mean, cruel and so brutal. Because not only did she do that to Travis, but what she put his fucking family through with yeah. all of these lies and calling him a, a pedophile and, and claiming domestic abuse and just all the shit that she put his family through after taking Travis away from them. Yeah. Like, get fucked, Jody. I was actually quite sad that she didn't get the death penalty. Yeah, and I know, like... There's a lot of gray area because, you know, in instances in which we think or don't think the death penalty is necessary, there have been times that the death penalty has been a mistake. But yeah. I honestly don't know where I lie on this fence. I mean, a part of me feels like she deserved it too, but I don't know. I have that other part of me that somehow thinks, even though, like, again, this is all gray area talk right here. I get mm -hmm. that. But I have one side of me that thinks her living the rest of her life in prison, not being able to be free and, and do what she wants. I think that is a just punishment for her to live out her days in confinement. But yeah. then there's that other part of me that's like, well, you know, Travis can't do any of that. Right. Travis can't wake up, period, or do anything, period. Right. Or, you know, it's a lot. It's gray area. I honestly don't know where I stand on that. Yeah. But I guess given that she was incarcerated for the rest of her life, I think that is fitting and I don't think she should ever walk free. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think given that that's what she has to look forward to, I hope there's never anything that comes up to where she's up for parole because that is so, this is one of the worst murders that I've heard of. I mean, like in so many ways, I, I feel like, I feel like it's a good thing that she's, you know, living out life without parole because the other thing that went through my mind when researching this case was, oh, God, you know, she's got three different versions of events. The attorneys are going to try to say that she's not of sound mind and she's incompetent. They're going to try to go for that insanity plea. Right. But I was I was very surprised and very just happy that that was never brought up. That was never a thing. Like, her incompetence was never a thing well if anything she proved throughout this how fucking competent she actually is right you know what i'm saying like it, it's scary how calculated how fucking calculated yeah, she is and i told you that was one of the things that stood out to me about this episode because when i told you that she was going to try to manipulate and and calculate her way through the system yeah while, no shit you know, while being calm and like coming up with all these different stories. And it's just, it was a wild ride. It definitely was. And you did a damn, you did a damn good job though. For so, real. I hope you guys have enjoyed the story. You can find us on Facebook at Gore Report, a true crime podcast on Twitter at Gore Report and on Instagram at Gore Report podcast. We love you guys, and we hope that you enjoyed the story as much as we did, or rather, not enjoyed the story. <laughs> <laughs> right. We will be back next week with a case from yours truly, another one of my cases, and let me just go ahead and tell you, it's fucking awful, as they usually are. <laughs> oh, I'm so ready. But take yeah. two foot me up, fans. So I guess we're going to go watch cartoons and or binge Animal Crossing? Sounds good. Awesome. Well, we love you guys. Thanks for you listening. Guys. We'll see Bye. you next Thursday. Bye.